Okay, as we jump into the Scriptures tonight, we're going to kick off by saying, do you have questions left over for this morning? I really feel like I drove in a not very straight line through what I wanted to share this morning and probably left a lot of questions. So if you wanted to ask something or share something from this morning, I would be glad to converse over that. Anything you want to ask about or comment on. You might be looking over your notes. Sean, do we still have free from the law, oh happy condition in this hymnal? Okay, I think we I think it may go all the way back to the shape note hymnal. Who remembers the shape note hymnal? Okay. Some folks are going, the what? It is? Oh, it's still in our hymnal. What what hymn number is that? Three thirty two. That'd be a great one just to kind of use as a Something to ponder over. Free from the law, oh happy condition. That is a great Christmas hymn, isn't it? All right. Any any questions about that? Well, let's go to something really wonderful and then pick up on a few of the prophecies. Come with me to Romans chapter 8. When we talk about Jesus coming to fulfill the law, I want you to kind of think with me about an idea. Let's imagine um, that Bill Mount wanted to be a medical doctor. Okay? Now, Bill, I don't know if you've ever wanted to be a medical doctor, but let's just imagine that you wanted to be a medical doctor. And uh, there's these standards for being a medical doctor that are pretty important. I was having lunch with a guy the other day. He said, what do you call a man who graduated at the bottom of his class in the medical field? Doctor. (laughs) I thought that was a pretty challenging thought. Um, Okay, but there are standards that you have to reach if you want to be a medical doctor, right? Do you believe those standards are a good thing to have? Yeah, I think so. We were watching a video today um, on Ecuador, on um, the Food Channel, uh, on Amazon Prime. They've got a free video set you can watch on Amazon Prime. And we were watching, and it's called, what's the, exotic, no, what is the word, Sherry? Not exotic foods, bizarre. Yeah, somebody said it, bizarre foods. And, and today, we watched the episode on Ecuador. David and Lydia, you need to see it because they have the malum, the worm. Yeah. And kui, they have kui. That was interesting. Guinea pig. and um, they had that. But they also had a thing about shaman, uh, witch doctors. And they actually had a guy getting treated, so-called, by a witch doctor. And the, they said this really funny thing. It said that the witch doctors there are regulated by the medical industry. And if you would have seen the treatment this guy gave, you'd have said, what medical industry? It was, it was pretty crazy. So the fact that we have um, medical sort of requirements for becoming a doctor, that's, I think that's really important. Let's say that Bill wanted to become a doctor. And so in order for Bill to become a doctor, Jesus came and took the test for him. 
And see, this is where we get into Jesus taking the test for us and fulfilling the law for us. If we don't understand this right, we're going to get something that's really whacked out. Let's suppose that Jesus came and took Bill's test for him to be a doctor. Would you have much confidence in Bill if Jesus came and took Bill's medical test for him to be board certified? Would you have much confidence in Bill treating you after Jesus took the test for him? Why not? (laughs) That's exactly right. And Bill, you served as a mortician, so you could work on somebody if they're they're dead. (laughs) Okay? He was actually a mortician. And so... All right, so he's got some practice with the human body, but... All right, so how much does he know? So if he simply had the test passed for him, would that give you a lot of confidence for Bill to come by your house and say, Hi, I'm Bill Mount, and I'm your new doctor under Obamacare. And you'd be saying, This Obamacare thing's got a problem. Would you want Bill to treat you after Jesus took the test? No. So we have to understand that something more than Jesus just passing the test for us occurs. This is really important. Because if we don't get this part, we miss. Go to Romans 8. Let's kind of walk through Romans 8, the first few verses. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, God did. Sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh He condemned sin in the flesh. And right after that is a very important clause. It's a Henoch clause. It's a purpose clause. In order that. And what does it say after that? The righteous... Lynn, can you pull that up? Romans 8. Hit about 3. We'll roll through. You are the man. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His Son in likeness. Okay, go to the next verse. So that the right... What does it say? The requirement of the law might what? Not just for us. This isn't Jesus just taking the test for us. Might be fulfilled what? In us. You see, Jesus did more than take the test for us and pass by living sinlessly and by dying sacrificially and being raised from the dead. He did more than just pass the test for us. He's more than just an example for us. He is actually going to give us something. He is going to place in us, if it was about being a doctor, He would place into us the medical knowledge of the great physician. And we would have the desire, the compassion, and the ability to treat people. What happens is is that when Jesus brings salvation to us, He doesn't just do something for us, He does something in us. You see, the law was not dealing with something on our surface that could kind of be painted on with religion. 
Here in Romans chapter 8, the law is doing something in us. This is the work of the new birth. This is the effect of the new covenant. God comes in, Ezekiel tells about it, He takes out the heart of stone, casts it off, and puts in a heart of flesh. And in that heart, He writes His law. And He gives us a desire, a compassion, love, and an ability, grace, to fulfill the intent and purpose and commands of the law. That we may love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself and thus fulfill the whole law. It is not just about Jesus meeting some standards and Him just kind of attaching that to our outsides like, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Bill. <laughs> MD, don't trust me. (laughs) But He actually opens up and changes the thing that was wrong with us, our heart. He does this through the new birth. He does this through our personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. It's a complete miracle. So when Jesus comes in and He's got this Christmas thing going, saying, I have come not to abolish the law and remove its regulations and requirements. I've come to fulfill them, to pass the test for you, but then to put in you that which is the intent of the law, a heart that loves God and loves the neighbor. This is the miracle, the work, the miraculous event of the new birth. This is Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is that glorious um, gospel truth of, of our salvation and our redemption. And so, when we talk about Christ doing this, when we go back and we study um, Roman Catholic history during the time of the Reformation, when Martin Luther came along and began to tell the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the Catholics responded by saying, wait a minute, it is a legal fiction for God to hang a sign on your neck that says that you have been made righteous when you're simply left in the same condition that you were before And so it's a legal fiction to hang a sign on the outside of you that is not true on the inside of you. And so the Catholics were pushing back against the doctrine of justification by faith. And Luther said, no, 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 no. Here's how it works. He only hangs the sign on the outside because of the work that he has done on the inside. He puts his righteousness inside of you. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus turned to His followers and said, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. So this is a righteousness that's not on the outside, that's not attained by human performance under the law, which can only condemn. It's a 
It's a righteousness on the inside. This is the righteousness Paul describes in Philippians 3. So go there. Lynn, will you take us there as well? Philippians 3. And uh, give me a second, I'll give you where to start. Go to Philippians 3. And um, there's so much I could read, but time-wise, let's go to 8. 3, 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish. The things he's counting here but rubbish are all of his own personal achievements, all right, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Now, my brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. A righteousness of your own that comes from the law. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were attesting to. They were saying, hey, guys, we've kept the rules well enough, good enough. We've set up enough sufficient boundaries that we are righteous under the law. And Paul said, no, you're not. The law can only condemn. It cannot make you righteous. So here, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but... That which is what? What is it? Through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God. That means that when God saves you, He puts into you, in that new heart, Christ's own righteousness. That's why we change when we get saved. We don't change when we get saved because we try harder. That's legalism. That's Phariseeism. Try harder. Do more. Attend church more. Do all these things more. Jump through more hoops. Serve more people. Read more Bible. All of a sudden, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying. You're getting a righteousness of your own derived from doing things. This is a righteousness that cannot be obtained by my actions of human performance. This is a righteousness that is... The the old word is the word imputed. It means to be credited not just to your account, but to your heart. It's not just a moving of a credit from point A to point B, from the account of Jesus to the account of Bart. It is Jesus' own righteousness actually occupying my heart. That's why suddenly I live differently when I'm saved. And so, that righteousness that Paul has there says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, come back to Romans 8 for just a minute, and then oh, I'm going to run out of time. Come back to Romans 8, and then I'll mention just a couple of Scriptures that Jesus fulfilled that I want you to think about. Because I've got six minutes. Okay. I want you to look in Romans 8... Verse 5. When you get into Romans 8, I want you to think that translating Romans 8 for guys who wrote it in English was a really tough thing. Okay? Let me explain why. The word translated in Romans 8, in this translation, is the word flesh. If you have an NIV, it will read sinful nature. Um, there's some other translations that even have other other ideas. 
Let me share with you what the word is. It's, it's sarx, S-A-R-X. It's the word in the New Testament that can be translated about five ways. First off, it means skin. Plain old, down home. If somebody had skin, it, it, they would say, there's your, your skin, your, your sarx, okay? Then it was also um, for the word like meat, as in like people have meat on their bones and and animals have meat on their bones. And so it was talking about the kind of animal that you are, that you were a being of flesh. It was different than being like a flower or a tree. You were a being of flesh, so you had this meat on you. Then there's the word, the same word is used for stuff you eat, like chicken. That was the flesh of an animal that you ate, a, a, a bull, um, a cow, or whatever you ate, the, the flesh of a, of a fish. or Those were the flesh, it was, it was something that you ate. Then it also meant your, your human body in its kind of fallen state. And then it meant your sinful desires in the way that you act. So all those things come from this one word. So when we get to Romans chapter 8, they're translating and they're going, how do we say this word the right way? Because there was one other meaning for the word flesh. And it's actually the meaning that Romans 8 conveys. It's human performance or achievement. The battle in Romans 8 is not between the spirit and the carnal It's between the Spirit and people who are trying to impress God by their own deeds. So if you read Romans 8 and you read it like this, for those who are according to human performance set their minds on the things of human performance. This is the Pharisees. They they were always obsessed with, am I tithing enough for God to accept me? Am I going to church enough for God to accept me? Yeah. am Am I sacrificing enough for God to accept me? Yeah, I am. And so their mind was not on the heart. It was on the effort. And so they were trying to purchase God's favor by human effort. So he says, for those who are according to the human effort, human achievement, set their minds on the things of human achievement. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, there's two routes of salvation. There's the route of human performance, which never works. And there is the route of the work of the Spirit, the new birth, God working in us. And why is this important? This is what Jesus fulfills. He fulfilled all the obligations in the flesh and the performance that we could never do. And then He died and paid for the penalty of all those who did not fulfill it and would trust Him. And then He raised from the dead and sends the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to us, grants us the new birth, and then He works in us this new heart so that the requirements of the law are not about what I did with my hands. They're about the condition of my heart And then my hands start to reflect that. And so, what is happening in Romans chapter 8 is this. Jesus doesn't just pass the test for you. When you trust Him, He has worked and is working and works the work of the new birth in you. 
so that the righteousness of all of who He is is taken and planted right into your heart. And that begins to change you radically. And you begin by the desires of your heart and the change that God has wrought in you to live out this new birth by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, still imperfectly, because you're living a body of flesh, and loving your neighbor as yourself, still imperfectly, because you're living in a body of flesh, but it has changed our fundamental desires. So what has Christ done? When He said, I came to fulfill, it was more than just taking the test and passing. It was taking the test, passing, and then putting into us all of the want to, ability to, and compassion that the law had asked of us originally. And He puts that in and it begins to blossom into new life and blossom into change. And essentially, this is what shines. What shines is the new birth showing the character of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus through my behavior. It's a battle because the whole time I have to mortify the flesh, as Paul says, but it is a victorious battle because He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And you have all these verses about this continuing work of Christ, the Spirit interceding with Groans too deep for words, all these things that are in Romans 8. So, having said that, we've got just a couple minutes for questions or observations about that. Anything you want to share? Loretta. Yes. In the moral law, Jesus does from His heart the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, the Ten Commands He obeys perfectly, obeying those moral laws, um, God being His God and no other gods before Him, not taking the name of the Lord in vain, honoring your father and mother, all of those things. He obeys those to absolute perfection in all of the moral code. Ceremonially, He participates in and does exactly as everyone is supposed to do in the ceremonial cleansing, the ceremonial offerings, everything from your dress to your offering of the sacrifice all externals telling you of a redemption to come. And then judicially, he doesn't deserve the judicial rebuke of death, but he falls under the judicial rebuke of death because the wages of sin is death, and he dies judicially being judged by God the Father. He who knew no sin became sin, and then God judges him for that sin, Though it's not His, it's all of ours. The Father judges Him, crushes Him. The Father brings about, He says the shepherd is smitten. And, uh, and so God orchestrates the death of Christ 
and then he goes into the grave and then he is uh, back from the dead on the third day because he is victorious over even judicial judgment um, because he has served the penalty as a faithful and uh, blameless servant and therefore he is freed from death. It can't hold him because he was not guilty and he paid for those who were. So... Those are the three ways that Jesus fulfilled those for us. There's lots and lots and lots more to that, but that's just a good overview of it, a general overview. Other questions you might have or observations? Yes? Just for that text. It's not, it's not for all of Paul's. In fact, Paul even says... Um, you have different kind of creatures. Some are made out of this kind of flesh and some are out of that kind of flesh. He'll even use it differently all through his writings. But the thing he's refuting in Romans 8 is only one thing. And that is the idea that a man, by the efforts of his flesh, can achieve the righteousness required under the law. And so if you'll, if you'll go through and read Romans 8 and insert that, you'll be amazed that Romans 8 will take on a whole new life. Because suddenly, a lot of times in Romans 8, we think it's a battle between my sinful nature and, my, and the work of the Spirit. But he says the flesh cannot subject itself to the law. And the reason he says that is he says uh, when the flesh subjects itself to the law, the only thing the law can do is condemn it. And so he's talking about specifically human performance there. And uh, so if you read back through that, I think it, it, it just, to me, when I realized that, it was like it leapt off the page and I said, that's it. The struggle is not between my sinful nature and the Spirit. The struggle is between the idea that I think I'm going to ever be good enough for God to save me. That's the struggle we have, my brothers and sisters. The struggle we have is not with our sinful nature against the Spirit saying, well, I think my sinful nature is going to save me. None of us think that, do we? I don't go around saying, boy, God... I'm going to get saved because I'm such a sinner. That's not what I do. But what I do is I say, you know, if I could improve myself a little bit, God might accept me. Have you ever said that? I hope you have. I, I have. It's the wrong thing, but I think all humans deal with it. So that's where the struggle is there. So good question, Warren. Anyone else? Carol. Exactly. Well, two things, Carol. Come with me to Romans chapter um, chapter nine, verse thirty, and chapter ten, verse two. Here's why, and and Paul actually answers your question. Carol's question is, you know, why were the they at odds with Jesus, and Jesus actually knew the law better than they did. Uh, and and uh, why were they at odds? Here's why. Go to Romans chapter 9, and he says, What shall we say then, verse 30, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. 
So the, the fundamental difference between Jesus is that Jesus understands that, that the law is pursued by faith and that the fulfillment of the law is by faith, that the whole goal of the law was to turn us from law to faith so that we would have faith in our Messiah. And their stumbling stone was they didn't pursue it by faith at all, but by their own effort. They were the little engine, I think I can, I think I can. That was the Pharisees' motto, I think I can, I think I can, but they can't. And if we'll come down to verse 2 of chapter 10, and I'll close with this. Actually, uh, 2 and 3. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. This is the Pharisees, but not in accordance with what? Knowledge. Alright? They lack the knowledge of what the law was pointing to all the time. It was pointing us to see our condemnation and to turn in faith and trust our Redeemer. And so he says in verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not seek the righteousness of God. In other words, they could not see how incredibly, unbelievably holy God really is. And so all they ever did was going around trying to prove themselves holy and saying, look at me, I'm holy. And they were so dingy compared to God and His righteousness. Good question. Great interaction. I'm, I've held you over. I love y'all. I want to pray. What I want to close with is to invite you once again to trust Jesus. I cannot, I cannot emphasize, overemphasize. If you've been in church all your life and you have not trusted Jesus personally for salvation, that righteousness that He puts in here, then I want to tell you very, very clearly, you're not saved. You have to turn and trust Christ. You can't trust your works or your deeds or your history. You must trust Jesus. Please do that. Christmas is a great time to do it. Let's pray. Grant us grace as we leave to trust Jesus and be saved, to trust Jesus and walk in faith, and to enjoy this Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Good night.